Hey, I'm Will, and this is Benj. We're both church planners trying to work out how to form churches in this post-pandemic world. I lead a church that's trying to grow big. And I lead a church that's trying to grow small. But we share an interest in the beautiful and diverse future of the church in Australia. What will it look like? How will it adapt and innovate and thrive? If you're asking these questions too, then join us as we host a range of conversations with diverse thinkers and practitioners around what comes next. Welcome to the Forming Church Podcast, brought to you by Gen 1K and our vision to see a thousand healthy churches in a generation. You might already be having these conversations within your tribe, but we want to form a community that brings divergent thoughts together. My name's Jamie. I was a church planter and now I'm helping others to plant churches as the Gen 1K mission team leader. Instead of this increasing polarization, we want to learn how to explore different perspectives with a commitment to learning from each other. So at the end of every episode, I've gathered some friends for a roundtable conversation to explore how these ideas might play out in your context. Follow us on Instagram and join our Forming Church podcast Facebook group to add your voice to the conversation. Welcome back to the Forming Church podcast. Welcome back. We have today a conversation with a man called Dale. Dale Stevenson. Yes. He is the senior pastor of Crossway Baptist Church in Melbourne. And our stories have intersected with his before, have they not, Benj? Uh, they have a little a little bit, a little tensy bit. We, yeah. uh, we took a trip down when we were both working for the same church. Uh, we were both on staff at the same church. And uh, we were exploring multi-site church planting um, as a church team. And so we went down, we visited uh, a few churches doing different things in Melbourne and uh, spent some time at Crossway. And uh, that was really influential for us in terms of uh, not just the church planting stuff, but discipleship and uh, some good connections there and uh, ended up being part of a, uh, a, a huddle, a building discipleship culture huddle for a while while with um, uh, uh, one of their team members there. And that's just been so good for us um, mm. over, over the journey. And I've uh, been so helpful in terms of engaging with the neighborhood and being on mission and um, being and bringing good news to our neighbors around us. And uh, has just given, uh, at least for me as a church planter and our team, just some really good um, solid handholds, practical teaching around that. So I'm very grateful for Dale. Yeah, I appreciate. Work. I also appreciate that Dale in those very strict Melbourne lockdown laws right now is spending a lot of time on zoom he's a busy guy he's uh he's a leader of a church which has you know over five thousand people connected um he's obviously a sought after speaker and uh so the fact that he would add a little bit more zoom fatigue into his life to have a chat with us little church planting plebs over here um is very kind of him it is kind it is kind so without further ado this is our conversation with Dale Stevenson. Well, how about you just start, Dale, by just painting us a picture of what an average week in your life would look like? Uh, I tell you what, so an average week right now is profoundly different because I'm, I'm based in Melbourne and Melbourne has some of the strictest lockdown uh, laws anywhere in the world. And so an average week right now is confined to my home. There's only four reasons why I should leave home which is essential shopping, uh, medical uh, care, and uh, or exercise is, is the other reason. So um, we've been in various forms of lockdown since March this year, but we've been in strict lockdown since early in July. 
so my life right now looks seriously contained to my own property. Mm. Uh, and when I say my property, I've just got, I'm on just on a suburban block, you know, and um, uh, in, uh, in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Uh, so I try and get out uh, on a regular basis uh, to exercise. I'm kind of, I'm more of an early to bed, early to rise uh, type of guy. Uh, my daily rhythms right now and my weekly rhythms are a whole lot of hours on Zoom uh, with, with people. And uh, so, uh, you know, so I'm the senior pastor of Frostway. I'm also the team leader of building a discipling culture. And so uh, that means that kind of sets up a, a grid. Um, uh, Crossways is a bigger church. Um, so between Crossway and Crossway Life Care, we have about 140 staff. Uh, and that means there's just a whole breadth of, of ministries that are taking place. Pre-COVID-19, uh, we were having um, just shy of 5,000 people who physically show up on the weekend. And uh, so that, that means you've got kind of critical mass around all sorts of domains of ministry. So all, all of that sort of stuff kind of shapes, shapes my, my weekly grid. Uh, obviously, um, in the kind of profoundly embedded into all of that is my own uh, walk with the Lord. So I, I try and do ministry out of a position of overflow. So my daily rhythms uh, of, uh, of uh, listening to the word of God, of uh, personal intimate reflection. Uh, trying to, I've, over the years, I've tried to land and integrate what it looks like for me to be intimate with God. I think everything pours out of that. So I'm chatting with people. I'm chatting with leaders. A significant part of my role is the external interface from Crossway, um, both nationally and internationally. So I, I would spend uh, at least half of my time with that external interface. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then on the internal work, um, for me at Crossway, I'm communicator, team builder, culture, cultural curator, and, um, and just kind of working with the team, making sure we're staying on track. Wonderful. You, you lead uh, quite a large church, uh, obviously, there in Melbourne. Um, but you have a, a, a strong drive towards mission and multiplication. Was there a moment or something that triggered that for you or has that always been part of part of your your bent look uh, look there, there's a very uh, a very long kind of tale on that one but probably more so in the last 12 years i, I remember 12 years ago we took core team away uh, for a three-day retreat and simply said how do you make a disciple of jesus that's the only thing we're talking about for three days it was like trying to herd cats it was terrible and there was such profound non-alignment in our language in our practice uh, and even our kind of our biblical grids around the whole thing and say, okay, look, we, we've got a problem here. We've got to paper the joint with, with people's theological qualifications and their leadership prowess, but we had profound non-alignment and we were classically Western Christian in our mindset. And in as much as Australia is now in a seventh decade of the, of the decline of Christianity, there is a, a, a blindness that has formed that we actually we don't know what we don't know and we don't realize what we don't see, uh, even from the scriptures. Uh, so now I'm like I'm a part of the Baptist tribe, and um, the Baptists have been non-creedal, and uh, because this is one of the kind of basic Baptist tenets, there is still more light to break forth from God's word. That every generation will come with a fresh gaze at the scriptures and will see things that the previous generations didn't see. That's absolutely awesome. Now I I think. The former generations of Australian Christians have had a blind spot for vocation. I really do. And, and so we've kind of we've got ourselves into a grid and, and we've begun to shape one another 
and develop a profound national narrative of decline. We've, we've developed a profound national narrative of inability to do. So our to, to say about Australian Christianity that we are stuck on the idea of multiplication is generous. To say we're stuck is generous. We are much closer to paralyzed than we are stuck. And it's not that we're short on a good theory. Like we've got some of the best theoreticians in the world, and I don't want to name people because I don't want to be I don't want to be rude. Uh, but on, 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 I mean it. We have some some of the best missiologists, missiological theorists in the world. But Australia wants for a narrative, as in people who can do it, to put legs on it and actually develop a narrative, and not just a narrative in a snapshot like a flash in the dark that, you know, lasted for six months or something. I'm talking about an expansive narrative that actually talks about change of the way of thinking, change of the way of practising, so that, we, so that norm, the normalising of being a multiplying Christians, and a, a lot of people don't even understand what we mean by that. This is how, how far we've got from the flame. Even, like, what do we even mean by multiplication? What's the difference between multiplication and addition, for example? If an idea is not simple and transferable, it will only ever be an addition idea. Mm. So in other words, you've got your expert and, uh, and they can be very eloquent, they can be very articulate, uh, they, uh, they can uh, have a good high academic qualification and they can speak something, it can be true and it can be impressive, but if the common person is not able to grasp it and do it, it, it will simply remain an addition model. So in other words, anyone who gets to hear the inspired and informed leader can seek to understand it and then you know their life will be touched but if it's not on articulatable and if it's not on doable it will only ever remain an addition model so there's got to be something that is so simple that the common person can grasp it and i think we need to drive it all the way down to older children Ideas need to be simple enough that older children, I'm talking grade five and six at primary school, certainly from the bottom edge of high school, it needs to be something that can be both understood and implemented right down into that zone. And then all the way through uh, to your higher academic qualification, professional people, all that sort of stuff. It was Steve Addison who said to me years ago, he said, why soccer the world game? I said, why, Steve? He said, because anyone, anywhere, anytime can play it. You know, a child with a tin can in an alley can play a form of soccer all the way through to the World Cup final. He said, it's all soccer. And um, so I was like shrugging my shoulders, thinking I was getting a soccer lesson. But then when he said to me, he said, Dale, until making disciples becomes that simple, it won't go viral. So in other words, there has to be a simplicity about what it looks like to be a multiplying disciple so that anyone, anywhere, anytime, it's an as-you-are-going activity, which is actually the language of the Great Commission. As-you-are-going, I command you to make disciples, is actually the Greek kind of structure around that, to be going and baptizing and teaching, but the command is to make disciples. So it's got to be an as-you-are-going type activity that anyone, anywhere, anytime can do. Now, as soon as an idea can become simple without being simplistic, and there's a profound difference between the two, uh, you, you, we need to trade our way through complexity back to simplicity so they're not being simplistic. 
If we're being simplistic, we're blind spotting a whole lot of profound truth and reality. Mm. But if you can trade your way through your complexity back to simplicity, okay, now you do have the multi-layers, but you're able to present the essence in a way that's understandable, it's transferable. And so this is this is part of the challenge for Australian Christianity. We even, am I allowed to say suck on your podcast? Like, we even suck at addition, to be honest with you. We really, we're really bad even at having the kind of the rare uh, evangelist who might know how to share the gospel in a way that helps one person put their faith in jail, or even bad at addition. Mm. So multiplication is kind of way out there on the horizon. We need to realize this. Um, it takes it takes 100 worshiping Christians a full year to see one person put their trust in Jesus for the first time. Now, that piece of data is maybe even being generous. Mm. And so, like, we, we, we're really, really stuck. We're close to being paralyzed. So I'm interested in that um, paralysis state when there's, when there's this long-term history of looking back and that's the status quo, that's how things have been. It can be very hard to imagine change, very hard to enact and implement change. How does that happen? From your perspective, how does a church culture shift from uh, a paralysis into actually a multiplication mindset and uh, having a simple and reproducible idea at the center. How does that happen? Well, look, it's, it's got to start with a, it's got to start with awareness. So there's, there's got there's got to be a, a willingness to embrace the truth. Truth is your friend. So it's, we've got to we've got to start there. Uh, for in in my context, uh, we chose to have a look at what were the practices that Christians in cultures where the gospel was multiplying and where disciples were multiplying, what were their practices that we weren't doing? So we chose to look globally. We chose to look at different organizations that were also uh, kind of leaning into that domain, sort of disciple-making movement dynamics, all those sorts of things. And then we we just started to practice and we started to try and implement things and and have a go at things. Now, uh, pre-COVID-19, because COVID-19 has been a terrible disruption for all of us, but for the decade before that, we saw that ratio jump up to about a 10% ratio against our weekend attendance. So for every 100 worshippers that showed up, including children, we would see about a 10% ratio. Now, I'm, I don't even think that's great, to be honest with you. It's, it's better than 1%. Like it's 10 times, it's 10 times better. Um, but I, I still think even at that, it, that is representing only a, a partial development. Anyway, so you said, how do we shift? One, we, we need to start to understand, understand a few things. So we need to understand, for example, God's expectation of multiplication. I think that's a good starting point. Um, you, know, in, you know, in Mark chapter 4, when Jesus, it's the very first parable in Mark's gospel, and I think it's very deliberately the, the first parable uh, because Jesus, having told it, it's the parable of the sower. We call it the parable of the sower. And, um, and then Jesus said to the disciples when they said, can you break that one down for us? Can you explain it? Because it's wonderful because Jesus exegetes it. And, um, and Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to understand any parables. So, okay, here's the first one recorded. It's seminal, and it's about multiplication. And uh, Jesus, who was more than prepared to say, I am the... You know, I, I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the door. You know, you know, guys know all that sort of stuff. Uh, he never said, I am the farmer. He simply said, the farmer goes out to sow. Okay, so anyone can be the farmer. 
It identifies what the seed is. The seed is the word of God. So anyone can be the distributor of the uh, can be the distributor of the word of God. And then he describes the soil as people, the different types of people. Yeah, all the way through to one type of person. You know, because some have got the worries of the world, some don't understand. There's all these different types of people and, and human traits. And uh, and then finally, he describes a good soil. And, and, and when the word of God hits the good soil, there's a multiplication, 30, 60, 100 fold. Now, he was, Jesus was very, very clear that the seed was the word of God. He's very clear that he wasn't exclusively the farmer who goes to sow it. And then we've got this diversity of humanity. Now, when Christians read that parable, we need to realize we are both the farmer and the soil. We are both the one who distributes the word of God, takes the word of God to others. And we're also those for whom the word of God is being sown into our own hearts. Now, if you want to ask a group of Christians, do you want to be good soil? Of course, every, everyone's going to say, yes, you know, it's the right answer. I do want to be good soil. Well, good soil multiplies a great harvest, Jesus said. In Luke's gospel, uh, the, the same parable, he, he describes it as a huge, there's a huge harvest uh, in, in them. So now we need to pause and say, okay, what is that multiplication? So uh, some Christians and some theologians will simply go to the fruit of the Spirit. So in other words, the great harvest of the sowing of the Word of God into your heart is a bigger version of you. In other words, it stops with you, but there's a bigger version of you in there. <clears throat> An alternate way of, uh, of seeing that uh, harvest statement, and I would say it's not either or, I would say it's both and, because I do believe that it is about what happens inside us. But in John chapter 4, Jesus connected people, souls, fruit, and harvest, all in one little section of phraseology, that there is a great harvest of souls out there and, and there is fruit in the harvest, etc. So I, I would be connecting the parable of the sower and this great harvest that Luke speaks of back with Jesus' own thinking that, that uh, he sees people also as a, as a harvest, in which case the very first parable that Jesus said, you don't get this one, you don't get anything, is actually a parable about the multiplication of the gospel, not only in you, but through you, that he's expecting his followers to be disciples who know how to multiply. Now, that simple understanding will reposition Christianity for you. And so Australian Christians need to be able to step out of the culture of Western Christianity, look afresh at the words, the ways, and the works of Jesus so that multiplication finds its birthplace again. He could have done the mission of God without ever saying, follow me. Mm. But he did. So he integrated into this three-and-a-half-year earthly mission a modelling of discipleship, that he did it a certain way. Now, he still had truth that he taught unmistakably, but he lived a life that could be imitated. So the Apostle Paul would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He said, I'm going to send you Timothy. He's going to remind you of my ways, you know, et cetera. So his whole imitation piece is essential. But we see Jesus using a model of discipleship, which is very counter to the Western model. So the Western model of discipleship is, number one, get them converted. 
So you've got to get them converted. That'll be by an evangelist or by an event. Someone's going to hit them with the gospel and by the grace of God, a salvation thing's going to happen. It's, 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 it's very kind of just get them to the line and somehow, bam, there's going to be a conversion event that takes place. Western Christianity says, okay, now we need to grow them, grow their morality, grow their theology, grow their practices and their character. Then maybe we'll train them and then maybe we'll mobilize them. So it's convert, grow, train, mobilize. That's Western Christian model. We don't see Jesus doing it that way. Jesus, For Jesus, the discipleship begins from first point of contact. So now it's directional and it's zone. So Jesus disciples them towards faith in him and to a life of faith beyond just some type of conversion experience where they actually believe in him. Now, in that whole zone, he does a rapid mobilization model. There is in situ training and growth now is a byproduct. It's the reverse order. Mm-hmm. And conversion can happen at any point in that entire zone. Mm-hmm. And we need to kind of come back to that whole idea where discipleship, it's not evangelism and discipleship. It's in the context of evangelism that a person comes to faith in Jesus. Mm. Wow. It's a, it's a big paradigm shift. And I'm interested drilling down on that in a practical sense. If you were to give advice to a church planter or someone starting some sort of new missional endeavor in their neighborhood or a social enterprise or whatever it is, what, what practical steps could someone do to begin to um, ingrain this in, in culture and in, in this sort of endeavor that they're reaching out? Sure. So what, I, what I'd say to them is Jesus began with the few for the sake of the many. And so just start with a few. Don't try and start with everybody. So Jesus didn't try and disciple the whole nation. He didn't even try and disciple the masses. He taught the masses. And so, you know, there was Jesus did these big, big gathering engagements and, and he taught in those environments. But he had, a, he had a 72 that he sent out on mission. He had a 12, his disciples. He had three, Peter, James, and John. John also thought he had a one. He described himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And uh, so potentially there was a one, a three, a 12, a 72, and then there was, you know, kind of the masses. And he treated them in different ways. So if someone was saying, okay, where, where do I begin? I'd say begin with a few for the sake of the many. D- do it very prayerfully. So if someone's saying, how do I step in this direction? It's everything is born out of prayer. Jesus had to spend a whole night in prayer before he chose his 12. So we say be very, very prayerful about who the, the few are that you are going to invest at a different level. So our prayerful consideration of who we're bringing in more intimately into the discipling process, that we can go through effectively a four-layered four or four-sided approach. So for us, we call this the square. Top layer of the square is information. So there's a whole lot of truth to be taught. There's a whole lot of engagement and information, knowledge stuff. Then there's another layer over here, which is all about imitation. So you're actually inviting this group closer into your world where they get to see the way you live. They get to see the way you pray. They get to see the way you engage with people, the way you live out the values of the kingdom. Now, this, this on the bottom edge of the square, we, we talk about integration, where the, you are now increasingly empowering, empowering them so they can begin to integrate these habits into their world. Final side we talk about is innovation where they actually get the opportunity to innovate with what they are learning. They get to enculturate it, apply it into their own kind of set sphere. Now, um, so someone who's saying, okay, I want to take a first step. One, it's got to be born out of prayer. Choose very thoughtfully and carefully those you're going to invite into your inner world. That choice is absolutely 
uh, mission critical. Live a life that they can imitate. So you, you, you can't just be a theoretician. You've got to be a practitioner. Now, Engage rapidly mobilise them. So they themselves, are, and this is why it's got to be simple rather than simplistic, it's got to be simple enough that there are things they can step into, be rapidly mobilised in, and then ultimately where they're fully empowered, you've built high character, high competency people over which you can afford to be low control because you're absolutely confident that they've got mm. the idea. That's, that's really helpful. Thanks so much for painting that picture, Dale. I'm sure many people will listen to that. And I uh, want to jo- draw that square and jot those things down because that is a super helpful way of thinking about it. Um, last question before we hit you with just some rapid fire, quick ones to wrap up. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You are leading a church that is at the, at the kind of macro level, you know, 5,000 or so mm-hmm. people connected. Um, but it's also a church that has done really well at setting up kind of these missional communities, discipleship clusters, uh, and kind of doing things both at the at the the large and the small end of the spectrum. Now that gives me great encouragement because it's one of the things we've been trying to explore. How can we have relational, collaborative, different expressions of church Mm -hmm. that prioritize shared heart while Mm -hmm. allowing for relationship between difference rather than being antagonistic towards a different expression? It's a false dichotomy to set them up in tension. Yes. Because it's only ever methodological. So, so yeah, there's, there's always going to be method in, in how we choose to do what we do. And so the fact that some churches have the capacity, I, I think it's just a grace from God, some churches have got the capacity to structure and coordinate in such a way that it actually it uncaps them and, and allows them to handle a larger volume of people. And there is some economy in, in critical masses of people and all those sorts of things. So some, some kind of manage to do that. So at Crossway, there's a thing that we call Team Crossway. It was over 1,800 people giving between five and 7,000 people hours a week into the mission of God. It was unpaid. And uh, so, you know, that, um, uh, th- that capacity to structure and strategize and, and set up our vehicles in such a way, when I say our vehicles, how you get from here to there, uh, your, your, your missional methodology and all that sort of stuff. So in our context, we speak about the mission of God in the hands of ordinary people. We're really trying to empower people. So even now in COVID-19, uh, where, where everyone's locked back into their own houses, uh, so one of the big things we've been pushing is, okay, be the pastor of your street. You're allowed to walk up and down your street. Uh, you've got to exercise daily. So be the pastor of your street. And we're going to put the resource we've got centrally, we're going to put that behind you. And uh, you know, we've increased our, for example, food distribution and care for those who are in need between 10 and 20-fold. Uh, our increase, we, put, we, we pushed whatever surplus resource we had, we pushed into the zone of care and rapid mobilisation, even in the context of COVID-19. And so we're still seeing people come to Christ and, and we're getting people still sending in videos of people getting baptised in baths and we've got inflatable pools they can come and grab and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but I don't want to fudge on the fact, though, COVID has interrupted us and it has, as best we can see, interrupted our missional impact so i'm not, I'm not I'd, I'd be blown smoke in the breeze if i said our impact has increased because of covid that's not, i don't think that's what i'm seeing uh, right now um so it's still provided its unique challenges for us but so how do, how do we do both i don't think whether you're big or small is a big deal i think the fact that you're able to mobilize and work through people is the is the really big deal and this, this is where i find people can get really enamored 
with their methodology. Uh, I, it was an Andy Stanley, as I heard years ago. He said, only date your ma- method, but marry your mission. And so when, when people really want to marry their method, and you know, even if it's a, a new method, you know, it's new wineskins, you know, kind of for the new wine of what the Spirit of God's doing, and we're going to be cigar-smoking, latte-sipping, we're going to hang out in the cafe. But if no one is coming to Christ, I'm just completely on I don't care about your method. You know, I, I, like I hear the Apostle Paul where he said, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I can share and its blessings. So when I, I hear him say that and I go, okay, he doesn't care so much about which method we use. He says, I'm prepared to use all possible means. Okay, well, so just figure it out. Figure out what works in your culture and in your context with your kind of missional target, whatever target you put on that thing, and drive that. So the, the whole the whole size thing, I'm much more interested in missional impact than I am in size. And I'm much less enamored by people's methodology as I am with their impact. Oh, that is that is great stuff. I feel like we could talk about that for hours and uh, the, the relationship there. Um, but just to honor your time, we want to finish with mm-hmm. a few rapid fire questions. Mm-hmm. If you're ready, this is just one mm-hmm. word or one sentence. If you, can do if that. you can hold yourself to that. Um, <laughs> what do you think is the biggest danger to the Australian church's future? Uh, the biggest danger is same, same. So we're in a seventh decade of decline. If we go same, same, our own, the current reality of same, same will kill us. What right now is giving you hope about the Australian church's future? Uh, that some people are being prepared to grasp the nettle, face the ugly reality of West, the brokenness of Western Christianity, and who are prepared to put things through a different lens, embracing the idea of disciples and how to multiply. What is influencing you right now in terms of books or, or podcasts or people? Uh, I listen to heaps of stuff all of the time. So I, I love uh, I love reading biographies and all that sort of stuff. Um, I'm I'm... I always listen to stuff coming out of America through a lens because it's a profoundly different culture from Australia. Uh, but I do still listen to some of the stuff that Kerry uh, uh, Newhoff uh, produces and they're doing it in conjunction with Barna Institute right now called Church Pulse because it's very contextualised right now to the whole COVID challenge. Um, so I, uh, I enjoy that. I, like I've always, my heart is always inclined towards people who have impact. And then I, I, I stop and say, why? Why is, why is God making impact through them? What's happening? Mm. If there was one book just spanning right across your whole ministry journey that you could have infinite copies of just ready to give away to every person that you met, oh, that's what would that really be? That's really hard. That's really hard. Like, can I answer it a slightly different way? If people are going to look at something, because there is the book, so Jossie Chaco, Madness. Uh, so what Josie Chako and uh, what Empart are doing in India, a vision, uh, self-disclosure here, I serve on the board, planting 100,000 church, or actually it's transforming 100,000 communities in India by 2030 and currently up to about 30,000 planted churches. It's a multiplication model. And currently planting a church, uh, or I think it's currently planting... I think it's, I'm not sure if it's a church every 16 minutes or 16 a day. I think it's planting 16 churches a day currently, 365 days a year. Uh, And this is where the West needs to look to the East to learn multiplication models. 
So I'd, I'd get them to look in that direction. So if they want to, if they want to read simply one book, yeah, something like Jesse Chaco's Madness wouldn't be a bad place to start. Uh, just to close, what what would your two or three sentences be to those that are church planters or you know looking to launch some sort of missional engagement uh, thing? Uh, what w- what would you say to them just in some closing thoughts? Okay, so I, I, I would go back to what we were saying earlier about starting with a few for the sake of the many. Don't be enamoured by trying to get big quickly. Don't be enamoured by trying to lead with a Sunday service. I'd really be back. I'd be going very, very simple around the whole idea of what collective Christian worship looks like, and I wouldn't make it the diamond. I wouldn't make it like the jewel in the crown. I'd make missional impact the jewel in the crown. And then the rest is simply uh, subservient ultimately to the desire of impact. And so the fact that Christians get together and worship is kind of like it's the halftime chat with the coach, it's inspiration, it's getting equipped, but the game starts when they're not gathered. And so I'd be wanting to set up the Christians so the real game is when they're not gathered rather than the game being when they are gathered. So it's, it's again, it's that change of paradigm. It, you know, the real game is not when we're together worshiping God. That is essential for a Christian community to do. I'm not wanting to understate the significance of the gathering, but that that gathering is a point of inspiration and equipping. It's the halftime talk. The real game starts when we are decentralized, and so helping to build Christians who know how to be disciples and know how to multiply and uh, therefore get a fairly razor-sharp focus on impact rather than process. And uh, ultimately, uh, let's be part of changing the public narrative on Australian Christianity. Let's get away from a public narrative of the decline of Christianity and let's change our practice. It'll be reshaping Australian Christianity where the public narrative will be, well, what happened to Christianity in Australia? Look, it started to grow again. Mm. Thank you, Dale, for, for your time, uh, your, your wisdom, your insights and, uh, and your leadership, you know, in this area, um, into the lives of many and uh, doing that even, even through this podcast is awesome. So we really appreciate it. And uh, thinking of you as you're in these crazy Melbourne lockdown times and hope that you uh, begin to get some more freedoms back soon. Very good. Dale, how can, uh, how, how can people uh, connect or follow along with what you're doing? What's the best place or way to do that? Uh, look, uh, if, if they want to see uh, Crossway more broadly, crossway.org.au or what we're doing with building a discipling culture, which is really about setting up churches so they can learn how to build a culture like that, uh, bdc.org.au, short for building a discipling culture, bdc.org.au. And, uh, and anyone who hears this, I want them to know there is a scholarship for their church for a two-year process where they'll be coached individually as a church fortnightly and it doesn't matter what size church they are. The smallest one we're working with is five people. The largest church we're working with is thousands of people. And so the size is completely irrelevant. doesn't matter what tribal denomination they're from. We're working with 11. And uh, so they can go have a look at that, and they can have a chat with us. Because uh, if, if they want to go on the journey, it is a process. It's a two-year journey. But they can uh, look afresh at the words, the ways, and the works of Jesus and build up their own discipling culture in their own context. Awesome. Thanks so much, Dale. Hey, this podcast is sponsored by Baptist Financial Services. To find out more, visit bfs.org.au. We hope you are enjoying the Forming Church podcast. As fun as it is to listen to our voices, they are not the only ones that matter. 
Add your voice to the conversation by joining the Forming Church Facebook group or connecting with us on Instagram at Forming Church. What do the ideas in this episode's interview look like in diverse contexts? That's what Jamie, Ken and Pip are going to explore right now. For this episode's roundtable, I have with me Pip and Ken. Pip has worked as a youth pastor in Sydney and served in Cambodia with Global Interaction, where she still works now as a partnership consultant. Welcome, Pip. Thanks, Jamie. Good to be here. We also have Ken, who has planted and led churches in Kenya, America, and is now in Sydney working with our Gem 1K mission team as a multiplication facilitator. Welcome, Ken. Good to be here, Jamie. It's great to have you guys with us. Uh, in this interview, we heard Benj and Will chat with Dale Stevenson about multiplication and disciple making. And the point of these roundtable conversations is to practice learning from people with diverse and at times divergent opinions. You might have a different perspective to Benj, Will, Dale, Pip or Ken, but how can we create a healthy culture of debate and discussion and move beyond the echo chamber of our tribe? So Ken, Pip, what struck you? Yeah, I think uh, what struck me was to hear about the difference between the Western model of discipleship, which is quite a linear type of a model. Uh, Dale talked about those uh, words of convert, grow, train, mobilise. And then he pushed back on that and he said, discipleship begins with the first moment of contact. And so for me, um, I reflected on a time very recently where I think we came unstuck in a conversation that I had with someone because we had different understandings of the word discipleship. Um, I thought of discipleship much more as that whole process. Uh, but when I talked about that, uh, including in my mind evangelism as, as certainly a part of that, but not necessarily the first step, I got some pushback to say, hey, Pip, how can you talk about discipleship if you haven't talked about evangelism already? Well, I think for me, the, the, the thing that struck me most was just the beginning, the aha moment for Dale and his team when he talks about the realization of how misaligned they were mm. and the fact that as a team, they had, you know, all the skills. He talks about the skills, I mean, they needed. But when it came to the simple fact around discipleship, they were so misaligned. And that aha moment seems to be what sort of was a tipping point for them to start saying, we need to pursue clarity. Uh, and that becomes a whole conversation. Yeah. And both of those things that you guys just raised are related, aren't they? Because yeah. it's about mm. having a shared defi- definition of discipleship yeah. Yeah. and that, that shared definition provides clarity of what the future looks like and therefore what we're working towards. And if you don't have that, you'll end up in different places, won't yeah. you? Mm. Uh, how would you guys describe discipleship? I know, uh, Pip, you shared briefly um, in relation to that conversation. but So maybe, Ken, I'll start with you. Well, mine comes from um, two fronts. Firstly, is what I experienced, and secondly, is what I was taught. So what I experienced was uh, in the setting that I grew up in, discipleship was very much part and parcel of, of doing life. You, you just did life. There was no structure or, uh, or process around it. Uh, and so it was, I observed my grandmother who I was living with. She would share faith here and there as we did different stuff. Uh, and in that process, I saw, I started understanding more and more. So I felt like looking back, she may have not known it, but she was actually discipling me because she's the one who led me to the Lord. Yep. On that, Ken, I think that's really important because we're all being discipled, aren't we? Yeah. We could mm. be discipled by the latest trend or fad or yeah. political leader or business leader. We're all being discipled. The question is, who are we disciples of? Yeah. yeah. And, and really the answer here is Jesus. And it's true because I, I remember as I, because my grandma, I mean, a, wom- a wonderful woman of prayer. So she'd wake up very early to pray. And with time, I started waking up early to pray. 
Mm. I might not have fully understood what I was doing, but I just started waking up early to pray. Mm. My prayer started to sound like my grandma. Mm. I'm like, okay, looking back, if I was to look at it, then I went to Bible college um, and, and I was now taught what discipleship was, meaning I had to be in a class, do formation, spiritual formation. Uh, I started going through a process uh, mm. that had very clear transition points. And that was very different from what I had experienced and what I was being taught. So as I became a pastor, I think my definition of discipleship was pretty mixed up mm. because I wanted to walk with people, but also felt like, no, there needed to be a sense of clear process. What Pip talked about, a clear, you start training someone, you know, you equip them, you mobilize them. That's discipleship. But that's not what I experienced, is what I was taught. Mm. So I mm. think I ended up with a very confused form of what discipleship was. Yeah. yeah. And if you think about this whole idea of it being simple and transferable, yeah. there was something in the way your grandmother modeled faith yeah. that led you to... Uh, mimic the behaviors that she did mm. and the prayers that she made, wasn't there? It's amazing. I mean, I remember one clear moment when we went with her to the shops uh, and this lady at the shop was not a believer and my grandma was buying stuff and uh, the lady looked a bit, you know, down and my grandmother asked, hey, what's going on? And uh, the lady said something was not, ha- uh, was not good in her marriage. And I remember my grandma stopping, sharing the gospel and saying, would you like us to pray? And she and she led, you know, prayed with the lady. And a few months later, the lady uh, became a believer. And I found myself interesting. When I went to school, I did that same thing. Mm. I was with a friend of mine who was going through some time. And I, I actually echoed the same words of my grandma. Would you like us to pray? Yeah. Mm. Because I had seen it. Nobody mm. taught me that. Uh, I was very young, but I saw it and I did it. And so I felt that sense of discipleship was felt to me very authentic and very deeply rooted. Mm. Um, other than what I experienced in Bible college, which was more like a production line. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm. And it requires us to let people into those yeah. parts of our yeah. lives and, and to slow down and do life yeah. together and yeah. do relationship. Yeah. Pip, how about yeah, you? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think, again, if we're coming back to a definition, it's a, it is about relationship. So it's about me in relationship with Jesus as a follower of Jesus myself, um, inviting someone else into that relationship with Jesus and into a relationship with me. And then we journey together. Mm, that's great. Um, so, yeah, I think that there is some intentionality in that mm-hmm. and I think that's probably where some of the confusion within the very organic relational, um, where it seems like we dump a program in, it can seem jarring. Yeah. Uh, but I think that there is both that sense of um, intentionality and responsiveness to say it is about, for example, teaching our children when we walk down the road, when they lie on their bed, when we're eating food together in those everyday moments. But it's also about having those intentional teaching moments and about setting those up as well as expecting that they're going to come organically. Yeah, 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 that's great. I think, think, honestly, the more I think about it and uh, what Dale talks uh, about in regards to something being simple and goes viral, when I reflect on it, I think I've really been privileged in, in that sense because... Um, some of after Bible college, some of the people that I worked under, you know, when you look back is when you see what they were doing, you really don't realize what was happening then. But for example, my father-in-law, when I started ministry, I started under him uh, and he would take me to places he was going to preach mm. and I would go with him. I mean, he would ask me to read the Bible, uh, maybe a portion. He would ask me to do the closing prayer. And some of these churches were really small, 10, 20 people, some were hundreds, some were thousands in conferences. I just walked with him and I would mm. do these things. But now looking back, he was actually discipling me. Yep. Yeah. And the time came when he said, 
right, we're going to go to this place um, and uh, I'm going to do the Bible reading. I'd like you to prepare a message. Like, okay. So I'd go preach and after that on the drive home, you tell me, okay, how did you think you did? And it was just, I just didn't feel like I was in a program, but mm-hmm. I felt like I was having life experiences that today shape how I actually even mentor and develop people. Yeah, today. Mm. Mm, that's yeah, great. That's cool. It was very similar for me. I had a youth pastor that really invested in me and invited me into his life. And then uh, again, when I was 18 and 19, an- another great Christian leader who uh, just opened up that space in his life and shared, uh, yeah, what he was learning, the rhythms, all of those things. So I do, I do think that that role of relationship and intimacy um, is, is really important yeah. in the area of discipleship. Um, what For me, the definition of discipleship is that it's an invitation to see, follow and become like Jesus together. So firstly, it's invitational. It's not yeah. coercive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that Jesus invited people to, to come and see. Yeah. And so this role of um, seeing and experiencing, because we can only testify to what we've experienced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If we stand up in a court of law and testify to somebody else's experience, like that's hearsay. Yes. And so it's so important that we're, we're seeing, we're experiencing. You think about how the gospel shifted um, from uh, primarily a Jewish audience to a Gentile audience. Uh, it began with Peter seeing a vision. Uh, when Barnabas turned up in Antioch, he saw the grace of God at work. And so the discipleship for me begins with this seeing, but then f- is followed by following mm. uh, and submission and obedience to, to what we see and this, this new kingdom uh, that is uh, becoming realized. Mm. Yeah, it's good. Jim, one of the other things that stood out for me was uh, the conversation around uh, theory and practice. Uh, and I was thinking back to uh, one of the church plants we did which ended up being one of the fastest growing in our church, in our movement. And what was interesting about this church plant, it was in a very um, low social economic area, low levels of education. And so in the church that planted it, the main church, middle, upper class, so we had all the classes that you needed to do for discipleship, new believers, formation and all this. But in this little church, because of the level of education, we were not able to do those things. So the, Mm. the pastors then just said, we're just going to live life and we're going to invite people to just journey with us. Mm. There was no program and it became, had the highest, I mean, every other Sunday I'd hear three people gave their lives to the Lord. But at the end of the year, they were putting all of us to shame. Mm. No programs, no classes, just people living life. Yeah, and, that's and, cool. And that's the whole idea of, I think we in the church that was sort of more modern, were very heavily leaning on theory and, and teaching people, but these guys were just practicing. Yeah. And so that, that stood out for me as Dale was talking about it. So yeah. do you think a barrier to multiplication and this viral disciple making that, that you've seen and experienced and that Dale was talking about, do you think that that's related, um, the, the blockage to that is this narrative, narrative of an inability to do that Dale talked about, this idea of being paralysed in the Australian church? Because mm. I'm new in the culture, I haven't experienced that, I haven't, I have heard about it, seen different shades of it but i haven't fully experienced it to speak into it much but uh there's definitely a sense of fear when you even meet up with people who want to plant a church there's that sense of, of fear of um will it work mm-hmm. uh show me the highest the statistic that give, guarantee greatest success you know those type of conversation which speaks to a, from a place of fear you want an assured form of success um and you cannot guarantee that in church planting it's god at work uh, mm. and 
God may choose to bless your church plant and in the one year you're 200 or in the next 5 10 years you're still 15 people. Mm. Um so that's a, that's a shade I've seen I'm not fully immersed in it yet. Yeah, I I think that that word did strike me like are we paralyzed? Are we stuck? Um and if so, then what can we do to mm. actually get out of that rut? And I I don't know if I have the answer. I I was just thinking in in terms of who might be listening to the podcast. Certainly there's there's pastors and church leaders who are listening to this and there are people who are active in their in their local church community um who who want to be serving the church and seeing God at work in the world. And I wonder if there's some different issues with both of those groups of people. Um for me for example, I'm not a pastor. I'm I don't have a formal leadership role in my church. And sometimes I wonder if I sort of uh have really received permission or authorization uh to uh disciple others as I am a disciple of Jesus. Mm. Sometimes I I wonder if I if oh, if I do this um will it look like I'm trying to take over someone else's role mm. or or do something that I'm not actually authorized to do. Yeah. Whereas I think if if my senior pastor was sitting here next to me, he'd probably say Of course not Pip. You 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 do have permission. You are authorized and discipleship is for everyone in our church. It's for everyone to continue as disciples of Jesus and to invite people into that relationship as well. Mm, But I wonder, yeah, I wonder about that. That's such a helpful perspective, isn't it? Because we're all approaching this from different lenses and and yeah, whether it's permission giving or permission receiving, uh yeah, that we each will have our own blockages. That's that's a helpful yeah. reminder. If you were to ask a follow-up question of Dale, what would you ask? I did hear a couple of different things um that that Dale spoke of. He talked about uh the fact that it's important to consider how Jesus discipled. Uh but then at another point he talked about uh just going what with what has the most missional impact. And I'm sure those two things don't need to contradict each other. But I I would have liked to have some follow-up to ask uh how does the the principles of discipleship in Jesus way uh connect with the context that he's in and what are some fruits in terms of missional impact that he's seen just to sort of bring that together great question ken how about you i think mine uh would go to the question of balance still um just the sense of there is a place for great theologians and theorists but there is also a place for practitioners and where do we find um why do we bring them in sync Mm. because i don't think it's either or i think they both need to exist together mm. uh, and and where do we find the balance because i think depending on where we're coming from we may t- tend to lean more towards one or the other i'd love to hear more from dale about how do they find that balance yeah that's great and i suppose that's part of the heart of this podcast isn't yeah. it that we bring all of those different voices together yeah. and um we have a conversation uh, there's practitioners there's theologians there's pastors leaders yeah. uh, people within congregations and we want to hear all of those voices yeah. um so that yeah great question if you were to suggest a concrete action or next step for someone in this area what would it be ah um, i'm in the uh, uh, church planting world so for me if somebody's out there and asking all right um i'm getting over fear i want to take that next step church planting we have um, the church planting cycle um which Jamie would love to speak into a bit more tell us just tell guys what it's about well one of the things when we plant churches is that we want to plant churches that plant churches yeah. and so how do you build in multiplication from the very beginning yeah. uh and create that culture so that we have developed a resource around a life cycle which takes a church through the planting growing 
partnering and reproducing cycle. What do you expect to see? How do you lead in this time? What are good resources that are available? So um, that's something that we can certainly include in the show notes yeah. and is possible. How about you, Pip? I think, again, uh, from someone who's a part of the church, who's a member of my local church, uh, to ask myself that question, as a disciple of Jesus, who am I discipling? Mm. And uh, if I feel that I haven't been given permission to do to do whatever I need to do, to know that, that I have been authorised to do this and to take the next step and to say, I'm not going to be satisfied with being the disciple of Jesus in six months or a year that I am now. I want to grow and I want to invite other people into that journey. So who is it in my life who is not yet a follower of Jesus, who I can build relationships with, pray for, and again, at the appropriate time, uh, invite them to, to mm, follow. That's good. That's great. Thanks, guys. And thanks for listening. Remember to join the conversation at the Forming Church Podcast Facebook group and follow us on Instagram. Well, there was our chat with Dale. You know, I just love his clear passion for the church in all sizes, shapes, forms, and for multiplication yes. at all levels. Yes. What was your one takeaway? Uh, my one takeaway, I love the, the phrase that he used a couple of times around uh, investing in the few for the sake of the many. Yeah. It can feel a bit mean. It can feel like we've been trained to to kind of, you know, not think uh, so, um, you know, deeply about just a small number, but to kind of spread ourselves across as many as we can. But I think that there's such deep wisdom in that in terms of developing teams and, and building a culture that multiplies, just, you know, figuring out who your few are. And I think I've got an idea of who those few are in my mind. So as a really helpful uh, encouragement to continue to invest in the few for the sake of the many. That's good. Yeah, for me, I was really challenged by his, um, uh, just his evangelistic heart. He's obviously an evangelist. And uh, for me personally, like that's, that's one of the, the gifts that does not come naturally. And for him to say, you know, the things that you're doing, if they're not producing evangelistic fruit, like you really have to rethink uh, what they're doing. And I think that is a challenging thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it needs to be balanced with other things, of course. But um, it's important to come back and see like how is the gospel spreading? in my neighborhood and in my church and how are we being and bringing good news. Love it. Well, thank you, Dale, so much for joining us on the Forming Church podcast. Hey, if you got some value out of this conversation, you know, go back, listen to the other episodes if you haven't already done that. But we would love it if you would share this content and help us to engage more people in this unfolding conversation about uh, what the church of tomorrow looks like and how we can move towards it today. So, what can people do, Benj, if they want to spread the word? You can share with a friend. You can post on Instagram and tag. You can share with an enemy. You know, yeah. Jesus would say, recommend podcasts, to not just enemies. to your friends, but to your enemies yes. as well. Yeah, He would say that. Probably. Yes. <laughs> uh, you can join our Facebook group community. You can rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That is so helpful in terms of people finding us Um Uh, not just through sharing, but through people, you know, looking for for church-related stuff, church-planting stuff. And so uh, that is really helpful as well. We really think that we are contributing something really unique to the Australian church context and and around the world as well. So uh, we would love for you to join us on that journey and mission to see what the church that God is forming over uh, the next decade or so. Amazing. Well, thanks for being on the journey with us. We'll catch you next time.